Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for NBC Radio News on KCAA Loma Linda. Brought to you by Green Kong Dispensary. The Inland Empire's finest curated medical and recreational dispensary. Google GreenKong.com. Iraqi game change e-cigarette product ban. I'm Barbara Kusak. Katyusha rockets struck a military base next to Baghdad International Airport, according to Iraqi police sources. Meanwhile, the U.S. expressed readiness to take preemptive military action should Iran or its proxy forces strike on American interests in the Middle East. Do I think they may do something? Yes. And they will likely regret it. That's Defense Secretary Mark Esper, who says the game has changed, citing a series of violent attacks on U.S. personnel and facilities in Iraq in recent months by Iran-supported militias. The Australian Navy was racing to rescue thousands of people stranded on the east coast of the fire-ravaged country, with increased fire danger ahead in the states of Victoria and New South Wales. U.S. Embassy officials warned today that tourists of Australia's south coast of New South Wales should leave because of extreme fire danger starting Saturday. The Trump administration is moving to ban candy and fruit flavors for most e-cigarette products. But medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen says exceptions for menthol and tobacco-flavored products are drawing criticism from health and youth advocates. The American Academy of Pediatrics put out a statement saying the bottom line is that children are at nearly the same level of risk now as they were before this guidance came out, referring to the Trump guidance, and that is a shame. The mother of an 11-month-old girl at a Fort Worth hospital believes she should be the one deciding whether to remove her child from life support. But correspondent Clayton Neville reports a Texas judge has sided with the medical facility. The judge denied a temporary injunction for the family of Tinsley Lewis, who's fighting to keep the girl alive. Lewis has been hospitalized at Cook Children's Medical Center since her premature birth in February. She was born with a rare heart defect that's left her with chronic lung disease and severe high blood pressure. Doctors say she's suffering and now... The family has seven days to appeal. Stocks pushed higher to kick off the new year. The Dow adding 330 points. The S&P up 27. The Nasdaq posting a 120-point gain. I'm Barbara Kusak. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $25 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-461-4545. 
That's 800-461-4545. 800-461-4545. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors. Not available in all states. The symbol of power and majesty, the gorilla, feared and respected. Our closest animal cousin believed to possess human-like depth and understanding. Green Kong Cannabis Dispensary of Paris aspires to develop the same understanding. Green Kong is a destination, a personal experience with great service for everyone. Located right off the 215 freeway and Hurley Knox Road in Paris, Green Kong is safe, legal, and easy. Visit GreenKong.com for orders. You must be 21. Green Kong is the place for you. Experience Green Kong's exotic surroundings and their jungle-like setting. Bathed in soothing light, Green Kong is a go-to destination for the CBD or cannabis curious or the connoisseur. Google GreenKong.com or visit Green Kong's brand new exciting new location in Paris, California. For several years, KCAA has been marketing the Longevity brand of nutritional and personal care products. Our experience with Longevity has been 100% positive, so we are pleased to recommend them to you. Regarding nutritional supplements, we recommend Pollen Burst in the berry flavor and Tangy Tangerine 2.0 in the tablet form. For regularity issues, we recommend 3-Day Cleanse, and for personal care, we recommend Morning Hydration Cream. You can shop online for Longevity at www.kcaateam.com or you can order by phone by calling 800-982-3197 and tell customer support that you are part of the KCAA team. Longevity is an American company based in San Diego. Call Longevity at 800-982-3197 and ask about monthly auto ship that allows you to buy Longevity products at wholesale prices. That number again, 800-982-3197. This is KCAA. Welcome to the Zero Point Health Hour with your host, Taylor Fakus, and the Zero Point team, where you'll learn everything you need to know to step into the new life path of vitality and infinite potential. Open your hearts and minds and prepare to go on a journey with the Zero Point team to unlock the strongest version of yourself from the inside out. And now, here's Taylor Fakus and the ZPA crew. What is going on, everybody? We're back on the Zero Point Health Show, and a big shout-out to KCAA for this opportunity. And I am here with a longtime friend and client, Mrs. Jillian Faith, and she is on Instagram, at Brains, Bone Marrow, and Biohacking. And she is the woman with all of the plant information. She's the plant master in my eyes. How are you doing, Jillian? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. So today we are going to talk a little bit about food and nutrition, how it's grown, how it's metabolized, and some of the aspects of what we eat and how it is produced that many people are are not aware of. Um, and uh, if you guys want to call in and you have any questions, you can call in at 909-792-5222. And we will do our best to answer any of your questions. So uh, Jillian prepared herself very well for today. So what do you got lined up for us so far? Well, I was asked a little last minute for this, so I had to write a bunch of notes because I didn't quite know until uh, about an hour ago what we were going to be talking about. (laughs) 
But um, the hot topic I wanted to start with is GMOs. Um, I like to give factual information, and I'm not an expert on any of these at all, but these are just topics that I'm very passionate about. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about GMOs. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk about my primary concern about, can you hear me okay? So my main concern about GMOs is the fact the Roundup Ready ones and the overuse of glyphosate. Mm -hmm. um, there was an article I read recently about how there are plants starting to metabolize glyphosate. So what that means is they're eating the glyphosate and they're going to become resistant over mm -hmm. time. That's mm -hmm. a big possibility. Yep. And then when we overuse certain tools, just because the tool exists doesn't mean it should be used or it should be used for every application. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I see all of these things as different tools in our toolbox. However, we have to use them responsibly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another, I have my little nose thing coming out. <laughs> if I could chime in there for a second yeah. too. Um, one of the things that came up when you were saying that is it's kind of like how we use antibiotics, you know, in our own body. So we're, we're trying to create an intervention where we're able to uh, change the ecosystem or the environment internally, like the bacteria that's living in our body, or externally. And life thrives, like life mutates, life finds a way. So if, you know, we continue to use antibiotics in our body, in the, in the, in the animals that we're eating, or, you know, antibiotics for plants, which would be like pesticides, herbicides, stuff like that, uh, at some point, they're going to build a resistance and mutate out of that. And we're really in the long run, making them stronger and more resilient. When we're not using it in the right application, that's extremely accurate. Yeah. Um, the other concern I have with GMOs isn't so much, like BT corn, they've done a lot of research on BT. BT is not supposed to affect the human body, so I'm not too concerned about that. The science seems pretty sound. However, the first GMO, what year were you born? 94. The first GMO came out in 1994. Mm -hmm. So we don't have any long-term studies to show the long-term effects of GMOs. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's a lot of new information coming out in the medical community. And a lot of the things that I'm currently doing with my diet are based on new information. And when I tell people how I'm eating or what I'm doing, they think I'm insane because mm -hmm. it completely contradicts the old information. Um, the first GMO in 94 was a tomato called the Flavor Saver, um, <laughs> spelt F-L-A-V-R. S-A-V-R, and it was a, they modified the gene to delay it from ripening so it can have a longer shelf life. Uh -huh. So that's the very first GMO that came out. Interesting. Um, I will, everybody gets concerned, but when you, when you educate yourself instead of being in fear, then you can learn what to avoid. If you're trying mm -hmm. to have a GMO-free diet, then you know what to avoid if you do the research. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, the current 10 crops that are GMO, and I'm just gonna take this out because it's not working. There you go. <laughs> um, alfalfa, apples, cotton, papaya, potatoes, soybeans, squash, sugar beets, canola, which is actually rapeseed. Mm -hmm. Canola stands for Canadian oil. And then corn, both the sweet corn that we eat and then the ones that are fed to. When you said BT corn, what is BT corn? Um, I don't know how to pronounce it properly. If I had it in front of me, I could. Uh -huh. But it is, um, the BT is, it does not affect human beings, but it will affect the pests that will eat the corn. Oh, is that the uh, pesticide that kind of makes their stomachs explode? Like their internal organs kind of swell and blow up? 
Off the top of my head, I'd, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't do too much. I have issues with remembering things, so I like to have the notes. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm not against admitting when I don't know yeah, something. Yeah, for sure, or for I sure. Recall. Yeah, no, that's, that's the way it should be. But it's, it's unique because. Um, and I'm, I'm going off some old information here too, but I remember uh, reading some research on how there's certain things that we're putting in the soil and on the plants that are showing up in babies right when they're born. So it's almost like it's being genetically passed down from the mother in uh, while they're in the womb. And these there's babies now that are being born with certain pesticides and toxins and things like that in their bloodstream already, which to me is kind of concerning because it's like, all right, if there's something that's changing our gene expression or something that that's basically going to be multi-generational. If we dis if we do discover that there's some harm in it, how long is it going to take us for, to get that out of the gene pool or to get that out of our system? So yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting concept because, like you said, the first GMO came out in '94. I'm 25, so we've had about 25 years of experience with genetically modified foods, and. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, even if we stopped there and we didn't genetically modify any more foods than the what you just listed off, a lot of those are staples in people's diets, uh, especially all over the world, you know, where food is not as available or people don't make as much money. There's a lot of corn that gets eaten. There's a lot of these uh, potatoes and some of these other things that you named off. So it's just kind of tripping me out because uh, if if we don't even know how it's affecting this first generation, well, two, three generations down the line, it's, you're rolling the dice there for sure. There's a lot of variables. That's exactly the... It's like a mass experiment. <laughs> so I'm not saying I'm completely against GMO technology. I think that having the knowledge is great. And they're using it for different things. Like there's a citrus disease going around right now called HLB, the citrus greeting disease. And it is decimating citrus in California. Mm -hmm. um, it's been in Florida for 10 plus years. It's our... It's I think it's about 90% of their trees get infected. It will kill the tree. It's terminal. Mm. And they're trying to use GMO technology to save the citrus, possibly, so they don't go extinct. Mm -hmm. And um, But that's, that's from the method that they use. Because I taught a class this morning about grafting and propagating plants. And we were talking about how the cultivar, like the Meyer lemon, is a, I think it's mandarin or Marinin orange and lemon or something like that, mm -hmm. if I could recall. And the cultivar, you basically have the same genetic material in each and every plant of the, the Meyer lemon. And mm -hmm. you, so you have basically a monocrop mm -hmm. grafted mm -hmm. on these rootstocks. So if one is going to be susceptible to the disease, they're all going to get mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So do you want to just have no citrus at all or look mm -hmm. at the technology. So I can't say I support GMOs, but I'm not completely against them either. I think there is some benefit to having that technology and looking at it. Yeah, and, and, and I'm curious your perspective on this because you, you know more about this than I do, but you use the word monocrop there. And so like mono being one, so there's like one singular crop that's being grown, you know, huge fields of corn or huge fields of wheat. And when you take away the, the dynamic, the biodiversity of an ecosystem or an environment, um, you, you make the whole environment uh, more susceptible to, to diseases and different things like that. I mean, just like even with human populations, 
in the early 1900s, if you were in New York City or one of these major cities and one person got sick or one person got TB or whatever, uh, they were so tightly packed and everything was so close together and there wasn't enough uh, you know, fresh water, clean air flowing through. There wasn't all these environmental factors that help uh, you heal, that help expose you to different things that would build up resilience. So when you have like you know, acres and acres and acres of just corn, that corn technically is more vulnerable now because if one pest or if one uh, issue comes up environmentally, you're going to wipe the whole thing out. So it increases the, 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 the need for like pesticides and herbicides and genetically modified foods because with uh, biodynamic farming uh, or even more of like the kind of permaculture approach to growing, growing things that are in a more natural environment where they're interacting with other organisms, where there are insects, but there's other insects eating those insects, and there's chickens eating those other insects, and the chickens are pooping on the floor, and it's fertilizing. It takes away a lot of the, the need for that. So it's interesting, in the conspiracy theory part of my mind goes, it's like, all right, well, is there this relationship going on between some of these chemical producers, whether it's Monsanto or whatever, to incentivize farmers to do more monocropping so they have to spray more of these things so they can make more money and my mind goes there immediately because it's like at the end of the day if research is showing or if just history is showing that we're doing things that are unsustainable and destructive my mind always goes to okay who's making the money off of it follow the money uh, a lot of the conspiracies out there I listen to them and I'm very open-minded but most of it boils down to money in mm -hmm. my opinion yeah, so I sure. can't I can't say, I don't like to guess or assume intentions, but it sounds plausible to me as mm -hmm. a, a possibility. It, any of the conspiracies, I don't think there's ever like malintent, but then again, who knows? Well, but it's definitely greed is a big factor. For sure. Well, like the one that comes to mind is like when uh, the, gen and I might have this, the, some of these details a little bit wrong, but when they genetic, and when they uh, patented the genetically modified variation of the soybean, and then because they had a patent on that form of soy, uh, the farms that were using it all ended up cross-pollinating other soy farms that were not using that genetically modified version of soy. So then when they went in and they inspected it and they checked it, they're like, hey, you ripped off our intellectual property, and a lot of these farmers were sued, and they had to close their farms down because they were growing genetically modified soy that was cross-pollinated from the other farms. And it's just like, it's interesting to me because whenever you try to patent life or you try to patent something that goes through this natural growth and, and disbursement process and it's a part of nature, uh, it's to me, there's usually a nefarious intent there that's driven by money. Yeah, it so. seems to be. Um, the monocropping, they try very... Oh, we got so we got someone on the line. So we're going to take a question real quick. So it looks like we got Mr. Lloyd on the line. Lloyd, what's going on, man? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a question. I, You know, I quit eating corn on the cob a long time ago because somebody said that it had the most GMO and all the poisons in there. So I said, no way am I going to eat any more of this. I love corn on the cob, too. But, I mean, you know, this is, uh, this is terrible. And especially with the chemtrails and what they do to our crops too so you know all of this is part of that so i don't know what we can eat anymore 
Yeah, well, that's that's a good point. We're going to kind of get into some of the different um, companies and families and organizations that are really taking a stand against this and getting back to the way that nature intended life to interact and, and to thrive to make it more sustainable because at the rate that we're going right now, I definitely think that we're headed in a direction where we're going to cause a lot more problems than what we're trying to solve because, you know, like Jillian said, it's like I don't, I don't really buy into the whole, like, we're trying to kill, depopulate the planet. We're trying to destroy, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, and pollute and have this completely nefarious intent. Like, I'm assuming, I'd like to believe at least, the first genetically modified foods were made to try to feed more people, to try to make food more well, available. Um, but That's what happened. But, you know, when you've got a city like New York that, that uh, you know, takes all their sewer waste and puts it on our crops and, in the United States, you know, that's that's a problem. <laughs> and and that's been a problem. And nobody seems to do anything about the, the waste factor. In Europe, they burn it. Mm-hmm. But here, they take it and they make it into fertilizer. Yeah, and all scary. the waste from the hospitals and whatever you throw down the toilet becomes, uh, you know, they throw on your crops. Mm. And that's that's terrible, too. And I, I'd like to know more about that and where it's coming from and those that don't use that type of fertilizer. Awesome. Yeah. So we have a we have some insights on that as we go through the uh, go through the show because uh, there are quite a few now. There's this resurgence um, of people that are trying to do things in a healthy, sustainable way because uh, it's more lucrative that way. You can charge more for the product, and I don't think that's a bad thing because if you're spending a little bit more money and getting high quality food that's created the way it should be created, and you're supporting families or smaller businesses that actually are com- have passion uh, for the planet and and are thinking about our, our our kids and our grandkids and generations to come. I'll spend extra money on that food all day. And um, so, yeah, we have a couple different topics that we'll kind of get into that'll that'll expand on that. Um, okay. But thank you so much for the question, Lloyd. Appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Bye. That was actually the next topic that we we're going to talk about. Yeah. So that was a perfect question um, about how the food is grown. We we're kind of starting to touch on that a little bit with the monocropping, but how the food is grown, if you're growing vegetables, intercropping is one way. Um, You mentioned biodynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done some reading and I've used some of the principles. I can't say I know enough to say that I'm biodynamic, that actual word, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but a lot of the principles resonate with the things that we do. Um, When a plant is going to get a disease, there's something that we use to explain it called the disease triangle. So you have to have a suitable host. Um, There's specific types of pests and bacteria and fungi that may attack one type of plant, but it may not attack another. So Mm. if you have something that only attacks brassicas like broccoli, cabbage, kale, it's not going to attack a tomato plant. Mm -hmm. So you have to have the right type of pathogen. You have to have the right type of host. Mm -hmm. And then you also have to have the environment that's favorable to that as well, because if you have a very healthy host, the the plant is a healthy plant, then it's not going to necessarily get the disease. Mm -hmm. Um, We use something called IPM, Integrated Pest Management, where pesticides and chemicals are, um, synthetic pesticides are basically the last resort. Mm -hmm. And you have to manage the pests. So just because you have a couple aphids on your plant doesn't mean you have a problem. Those will actually be a food source for some of the beneficial Mm -hmm. insects, which Mm -hmm. will eat some of the other insects. And it's a 
It's the cycle. If you take yeah. away all of the pests or all of the pathogens, then there are things in like the soil food web where the organisms are not going to have the food to eat. Mm -hmm. And soils where it's at. Soils, the microbiome. Yep. It's basically, it, uh, there's a lot of research coming out where it affect the soil that our food is grown affects our gut microbiome Absolutely. as well. Yeah. So when we're doing, when we have monocrops, then we're not going to have good soil. Mm -hmm. That creates a lot of issues. Diversity in what we're growing will actually encourage complexity in the biological activity in the soil. Yeah. And um, if anyone's around in December, we're going to be giving a, a uh, talk about soil for World Soil Month in December, I believe. Awesome. So I'll get those details to you soon. Um, yeah, something that came to mind as you were explaining that, it's it's interesting because I, I really like having this uh, kind of global zoomed out view. And it's so cool when you think about how there's, you know, a microbiome inside of our body and like all the gut bacteria and the flora and all the beneficial bacteria and all the things that are living inside of us. And uh, if you kind of zoom out, that's fractally represented at every scale. So it's like there's a microbiome for the ocean. There's a microbiome for the soil. There's all of these different uh, communities and environments where things have to interact with each other and either apose, which is like a form of support, synergy, or oppose each other. And it's just kind of interesting because the more you remove something from its natural environment, y the less it can tolerate the things that was in that environment because the environment is what implies the organism. So like with climatization, if you take a plant that's naturally growing in a certain part of the world, that plant has those properties because it was in that environment, because it was getting that spectrum of light. It was getting that kind of water, that kind of soil. So if you take like, and I don't even know if this is a real thing, but if you take like lavender that's grown in Africa and then you bring it into Southern California, after a couple of generations, it starts to lose some of those properties because it's no longer making the adaptations and adjustments that it needs to to survive in that environment. After you grow a plant and you collect the seed, you regrow that plant, you do that for three generations, then it becomes acclimated to that specific area. So that is um, true. It will start to change and acclimate because what's going to happen, and you can actually do your own selective breeding. I was doing this with a chicory crop not long ago. I was trying to find chicory that was resistant to the heat. So I planted about 100 chicory plants, and that's not quite a lot. If you're doing selective breeding, you probably want to do a lot more. But I looked for the ones that were bolting, which means they were getting ready to produce seed. Mm -hmm. And the ones that went to go to seed first, I killed those off. I didn't save the seed from them. But then the ones that went to seed last are the ones that I wanted because I want to replicate those traits. Mm -hmm. So I save the seed from that. And then when I grow that out, they're more likely to have those genetic traits to bolt later. Mm -hmm. And then you do that again. And that, that's actually selective breeding. And mm -hmm. some people think that's, again, GMO. That's a complete different thing and that mm -hmm. that's a it's a good practice to get what you want but if that's all you're doing you tend to bottleneck the genetics and if something happens it won't ha you won't have that diversity of tools in yeah. the genetic toolbox yeah so maybe selective breed but also breed for other traits too so mm -hmm. you have those available mm -hmm. and that's why i think um growing from seed is very important yeah absolutely um but I'm going to start to go into the next topic here and probably freak everyone out <laughs> for a minute. That's good. Um, <laughs> so you guys ever garden, pull weeds in the garden? Have you ever had to do that chore as a child? Uh, yeah, I hated it because I would end up like 
with snot in my nose and itchy and bumps and red and all kinds of crap like that, but yeah. Okay, so plants don't have legs. They can't run away from a predator. So they create different type of compounds and they have their own natural defenses. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these compounds are things that people will use in herbal medicine. And in the right amount, it can be beneficial. Mm -hmm. But in the wrong amount, a lot of these compounds can be bad. Mm -hmm. And they're supposed to discourage things from eating the plants. Mm -hmm. So um, they refer to them as anti-nutrients. One good book, if anybody's interested, is uh, The Plant Paradox mm -hmm. by Dr. Stephen Gundry. He talks specifically about lectins. Mm -hmm. And I have my notes here. Um, lectins is a family of proteins that can damage your gut. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole host of different anti-nutrients and some of them have benefits, like polyphenols, for instance. If you're going to drink caffeine, it mm -hmm. slows the absorption so you don't get the jitters. Mm -hmm. But it also has an effect on the thyroid and the kidneys. Mm -hmm. So there's that duality there. Mm -hmm. And I am on a meat-based diet right now. A lot of people are hearing the carnivore diet. It's like the big popular thing right now. I'm doing a carnivore-based diet um, since December of last year. I've had my moments where I've dipped into things I shouldn't have eaten. Mm -hmm. You've heard about that. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm the gardener who doesn't eat plants. Yep, and I, I love that. That's got to be like a tagline. But uh, yeah, and, and, and you touched on something there that I thought was really interesting because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, life exists to stay alive. You know, it's to perpetuate its, its species, its genome, whatever. And so, like, if you think of seeds and you think of animals that eat seeds, uh, in most cases, the reason why there's a fruit that's sweet, that animals want to eat, is because the fruit, when it gets eaten, those seeds go into the animal's stomach, and then that animal goes and poops the seeds out somewhere, and then that plant can now spread its seed over larger distances, and it increases the likelihood of the survival of the species. So it's, it's really interesting because you know, when you when you eat an animal, I mean, I, I think in most cases it hopefully is dead already. Hopefully, people aren't eating live animals. If you are, that's a whole other level. But you know, an animal defends itself with its claws and teeth and fangs and running and all those things. And I like what you said. Like plants don't have legs, so they have to have some kind of self-preservation mechanism, some kind of defense mechanism. And that's why there's so many plants that actually can cause inflammatory responses in the body, histamine responses in the body that can. Uh, you know, have all of these different components to it because they really don't want to be eaten. And the one that comes to mind for me is is kale, for example. Kale has a lot of anti-nutrients in it, but I like kale and I like eating kale. So it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you can change the chemical properties of these things too, even just by like cooking them. So yeah. having a good understanding of like, okay, well, what things should I be eating raw, if any? What things should I be cooking? What things should I be sprouting and eating while they're alive, like nuts? Because, you Soaking know. Soaking and fermenting are yep. two other things for preparation if Absolutely. you are going to eat them. Absolutely. Um, I If I do eat any plant foods, I soak, sprout, ferment, or I cook it until it's super soft. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's interesting because there's like a, a lot of ancient wisdom around that like you know if you look at uh, almost all ancient cultures have different um, like traditions around fermenting foods whether it's like kimchi or even like miso with soy it's like you know when you ferment soy it's a lot less bad for you than if you were just straight up eating edamame beans or like you know straight up soy like that because you're at least with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's getting living bacteria with it. There's at least enzymes that are active in it that help kind of digest and break some of that crap down before you eat it. It's almost simulating what happens in the stomach of the yep. ruminant where they actually are able to break it down. So when you're fermenting it, since we don't have the same type of setup as a ruminant animal does, we're able to ferment it first and that pre-digests it. Yep. That's why if someone's going to eat bread, I recommend doing sourdough. Mm-hmm. It would be a better choice because it's pre pre-digested and Mm -hmm. it helps break a lot of things Mm -hmm. that irritate people, um, people's stomach down. Well, yeah, because, you know, and life is always evolving. So it's like one of those things too, where it's like, okay, let's just use a banana, for example. If you eat a banana when it's a little bit more green, as opposed to like a super ripe banana, it's slowly going through a fermentation process that whole time. So if you eat it when it's more green, you're going to get more of the uh, indigestible, insoluble fiber, um, which can actually have a positive uh, positive effect on your microbiome because some of the bacteria in your stomach like eating that. Whereas if it's a super floppy fermented banana, you're basically eating just fructose at that point and it's a lot higher in sugar. There's a different glycemic index. So it's like, you know, even with some of, and I don't know a whole lot about this, you probably know more than I do. There's even certain meats and animal products that you can ferment uh, to help break down and increase the nutrient density of those things. Yes, there is. So the stage that the food is in too is another thing that most people aren't considering because if it's, it's, it's not black and white. If someone says bananas are good for you. It's like, okay, where was the banana grown? What environment was it in? How long has it been disconnected from the earth and not getting the electrons and the sun and the water and the electromagnetic field? Like there's a lot of different things to consider there because, you know, and, and we can get a little bit more into this later because you were onto something there. And I don't want to interrupt it too much, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's only been the last couple hundred years where you could in one day eat foods from like 20 different countries. So if you're eating like bananas that are grown in Brazil and to tomatoes that are grown in Mexico and papaya that's grown in Hawaii and whatever from all over the place on one plate, all of those foods were getting information from different parts of the world. They were getting light at a different time. Their circadian rhythm is different than ours. Their light, day and light cycle is different than ours. The, the nutrition in the soil, the electromagnetic field is different. So it can be really confusing if, you, if it's the middle of winter and you're in Maine and it's freezing cold and you're eating like a ripe banana from Jamaica that can be really confusing for your biology because you're in two completely different time zones of uh, environmentally. That makes a lot of sense. I I don't know too much about all that stuff per, per se. I've been hearing a lot more about it from you, but it does uh, really interest me the way that the light does affect the food. I'm learning a lot more about the light ever since doing the red light. And yeah. That just 
It's amazing stuff. Yep. Yeah, so Jill, Jillian's actually a member at, at Zero Point Athletics, and she killed the Holistic Transformation Challenge we did last uh, in uh, in December. Um, she uh, she did an amazing job, and uh, one of the tools that we have there is, and you just won one for free uh, in a contest, which made me freak out, uh, is the red light therapy that, that we have, right? So, you know, last thing I'll say, and then I'll, I'll let you chime in and kind of we can move through this, but at the end of the day, it's like, all right, we eat food to have energy. That's like the basic need, right? Calories, energy, if you don't have that at some point, you're gonna die. Well, arguably. So, well, is your cell and the organs inside of those cells, like your mitochondria, which actually produce the energy, are your mitochondria eating protein, carbs, and fat? No, they're way too big. That's why those, those are called macronutrients. Yeah. So as you start to digest this stuff and you break it down and it gets into your bloodstream and it starts going to your brain and your muscles and your organs, at a cellular level, you're actually receiving the electromagnetic information from the food. You're trading off electrons. So if the food that you're eating is not grown with a n healthy light cycle or it's one that's completely different from your own or it's artificially grown with artificial light, that food, which is mostly water, is carrying a different frequency of information than something that was in its natural habitat and it was rising with the sun and the moon and it had normal seasons and all that stuff. So it's just, that's, it's interesting to me because at the end of the day, we're eating electricity and light when you really get down to it at the cellular level. I do want to get more into, we talked about the production of vegetables. I want to get more into the production of um, meat here yeah, in a minute. It, but before we do, you mentioned soy and I wanted to mention something very important specifically to me right now is goitrogenic foods can affect the um, your thyroid quite, quite a bit. It affects the way that your body deals with iodine and that's what initially, I used to eat a lot of vegetables. I would love vegetables, but I learned that broccoli, soy, any type of brassica, basically cabbage, Brussels sprouts, and those were the ones I liked the most. Mm -hmm. um, are not necessarily good for someone with a thyroid issue. So that's another reason why I'm avoiding vegetables. What were those? You said go go goitrogenic. It's, if anyone wants to look it up, it's G-O-I-T-R-O-G-E-N-I-C. Okay. Goitrogenic. Interesting. Correct. Well, and you, you might know this better than I am, but a lot of that family of food is not actually a naturally occurring um, plant because what my understanding is is a lot of that was through selective breeding from the mustard seed like Brussels did, sprouts, broccoli. Yes. So selective breeding isn't the same as GMO and you can't, a lot of those things will, you, if you have two brassicas because they pollinate, you, it's very hard to grow something to be true. It has to have such a distance. So if you're trying to grow a brassica, if you save the seeds from that, the likelihood of it being some random, because so many people grow broccoli and spinach, mm -hmm. or not spinach, kale, mm -hmm. and the likelihood of it becoming something random is very high. So, really? Yes. Interesting. I'm, April, we're going to be teaching a class about uh, select, selecting seeds and saving seeds. So we talk about that a bit. So oh, another class I'll give you info on. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But um, because, so I wouldn't say it's unnatural. They selected for those traits. Mm -hmm. So it's, you could have it naturally occur mm -hmm. um, and then you like it. So then you save the seeds from that and then redo that. Mm -hmm. So... We may, we did play a hand in that, but I I wouldn't say it's super on that. Uh, that's kind of a weird one. I don't want to. 
misspeak on that. Um, but those things can occur naturally. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I hear what you're saying, and, and what popped into my mind was dogs. So it's like, you know, uh, my understanding, which might be wrong, is that pretty much all dogs evolved from different kinds of wolves, right? And there was a selective breeding process that we went through. Like, oh, okay, that's a really fluffy one. This is a really fluffy one. Let's keep making those two things, get it on, and then we're going to have like this really, really fluffy one. And so it's interesting because it's like, does that make it unnatural or bad? I don't think so. Um, but I think it could be taken too far so like what comes to mind is like a pug like a pug's like eyeballs pop out like that thing would not live in the in the real world well i have some pomeranians at home and i adore them they were they're royalty dogs they Uh were bred for the queen so but they are they they are basically inbred Mm -hmm. you know so they they would not survive in the wild at all they So I, when you compare it to that, now I'm like, well, I don't know. I could kind of understand. Maybe it's not the best idea. Well, I wonder, like, if, if, <laughs> if humanity just disappeared from the earth, like, would broccoli, like, would broccoli live? Like, would, 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 would Brussels sprouts still be around? Like, it might it's, just it's completely just yeah. evolve into new things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Interesting. Cool. Um, one more thing. Uh, we were talking about anti-nutrients, but another factor to consider is the bioavailability. Um, heme iron is something that we are able to uptake a lot more. Just because you're eating a specific vitamin doesn't mean that your cells are going to take those in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know more about plants than I do about human biology. Mm-hmm. Um, plants have cell walls. We have cell membranes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when you're a plant's uptaking nutrients, it needs to have the right pH to take up certain types of nutrients. There's so many different things and they have to be available for the plant to uptake. One really important vitamin, one of the most important vitamins, vitamin A, is something that some people are able to get through beta carotene. Um, But there is a gene, it's the BCM01 gene that people have a some people are able to convert beta carotene to retinol and some people are not. Mm -hmm. So if someone's eating a predominantly or complete plant-based diet and they don't have that ability to make that Mm -hmm. beta carotene retinol then it's not a usable form they probably going to become deficient in vitamin Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. so i look for things that are more bioavailable and in animal-based foods many of these vitamins all of these vitamins actually are more bioavailable heck yeah heck yeah like um plant ala doesn't typically convert to DHA very mm-hmm. well. And this is shown even in healthy individuals, it doesn't convert very mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting just to expand on that a little bit because, um, for example, you know, with, with omega 3s, with DHA, for example, um, th- it comes down to the charge that it carries because at the end of the day, again, we want our mitochondria to have energy to produce ATP. ATP is an acronym for adenosine triphosphate, which is the molecule that has to be separated into ADP, so try to die. It loses a phosphate bond and the release of that phosphate bond creates energy. And if you are not able to provide the environment necessary for your mitochondria to continue producing ATP, to be broken down into ADP for energy, then you're going to, I mean, that's really, in my belief, the basis of all disease. Because if you don't have enough energy, period, you're not going to be able to fight off anything. You're not going to be able to actually have vitality. And if you have cancer in your body or you have an autoimmune thing that's dormant inside of you, the more energy you give your body, the more power it has, the more it's going to be able to fight those things off. And with animal-based omegas, they have a 
um, I for, it's either positive or negative, but it's the polar, it's the polarization of the mitochondria. So if the mitochondria has a net negative charge and you're eating sardines, salmon, whatever, the omegas in animals have a positive charge. So they actually are magnetically attracted to each other and they're a lot more bioavailable. Whereas plant-based omega-3s typically don't have the right electromagnetic charge to actually be utilized at the cellular level, at the mitochondrial level. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. That's why I'm a huge proponent of seafood and the first thing that people go is like, oh, mercury, radiation. And I'm like, look, that's real. I get that. But if you're getting the sunlight and you're getting all the other nutrients that you need and you're drinking clean water and you're getting in the Selenium. sauna at our gym. Yes. Selenium. If, yeah. if the mm -hmm. ratio, first of all, you mentioned the sardines and the anchovies. The smaller the fish, better. the better because it's not going to have as much mercury content, mm -hmm. typically. Mm -hmm. The next thing is the selenium content. If mm -hmm. it has a higher selenium content, you have to look how much mercury to selenium because the selenium will actually bind with yep. mercury. So it's basically like not going to mm -hmm. be a concern. Mm -hmm. So if you have a larger fish that has a high mercury content and a low selenium content, then you want to avoid that. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what I've learned. Again, this is all just stuff I'm passionate about learning Google, but I sift through the fact-based stuff. You're, yeah, but you're really <laughs> smart. And, and, and uh, the, the way that you've kind of treated your body and the things that you've experimented with and watching you transform and be able to take control of your health has been really inspiring. So don't discredit yourself because uh, I, I learn from you all the time and, and I love hearing and, and, and hearing you share. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, too, that's really interesting to me because at, at the end of the day, we all have to, like, have the intuitive awareness to do what we feel like is best for ourselves. Um, but it's really easy to buy into a belief system because it makes sense to you or it gives you a particular identity. And you're so focused on the loudness of that belief or your fixation on that idea that you can't hear the softness that your body is telling you. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, um, and, and I'm not bashing any particular diet or anything in, partic in particular, but there's so many people I know that are completely uh, singular with their beliefs about their diet, whether they're vegan, carnivore, what, keto, doesn't matter, but they, they're stuck and they're in a belief system and they're sick and they feel like crap all the time and they have all these health issues and they're like, oh well, yeah, I'm gonna try this medication or this supplement or I'm gonna try this workout program. Like, okay, that's cool. At least you're trying, at least you're looking. But they will have deaf ears when you start talking about, well, maybe you should change your diet. It's like, oh my God, no, I'll never do that. So it's just one of those things where it's important to consider all this information and also try it. You know, like if, if you've never just eaten meat before, then try just eating meat for a month and see what happens. If you've never been plant-based before, go plant-based for a month and see what happens and journal it and write it down so you have a objective source of information that about how you feel that's independent of your belief systems. Um, but really quick, we got to go to go to blah, 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 we got to go to a quick break. So we'll be back in a couple minutes, guys. Again, if you want to call in, it's 909-792-5222. We'd love to hear from you and thank you very much. We'll hear from you in a bit. Taylor Ficus and the ZPA crew will be right back with the inside tools for a better you right after this on the Zero Point Health Show. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, K292FQ Riverside, and K293CF Moreno Valley. 
zero point athletics Callum Aces newest gym the Inland Empire's newest gym unbelievable services unbelievable tax day is coming oh no but if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year oh yeah sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market subscription fees apply Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Gear and equipment. Zero point athletics. You thought you knew what a gym was supposed to be like? Visit Zero Point Athletics and find out for yourself. First-hand experience. All that matters. Zero Point Athletics. Your body, your mind, your spirit will never be the same. Zero Point Athletics. 1103 Calamesa Boulevard. Calamesa. Call 810-7973. That's area 909-810-7973. Zero Point Athletics. In one of the first studies of its kind, researchers have found a link between vaping and the increased long-term risk of developing respiratory disease. Published in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine, the study monitored e-cigarette users and respiratory disease over a three-year period. In that limited amount of time, researchers found the odds of developing lung disease increased for e-cigarette users almost as much as it did for cigarette smokers. And if they used both, it went up even more. The study relied on self-reporting for more than 32,000 adults in the U.S. They were asked if they used any type of vaping or tobacco product and if they had ever been told by a doctor they had lung or respiratory conditions. Medical professionals stress that there are still a lot of unknowns when it comes to the health risks of vaping and the true long-term effects on the body. For today's Health Minute, I'm Jeremy Roth. KCAA. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Zero Point Health Show. I am here with Miss Jillian Faith at Brains, Bone Marrow, and Biohacking on Instagram. Definitely check her out. She's got some classes and some cool uh, information and events coming up. If you'd like to call in and ask a question, it's 909-792-5222. And uh, the last thing we were talking about was giving different diets a try uh, by eliminating some of the variables. So Jillian wants to chime in a little bit on how you can do an elimination diet correctly. Okay, so um, you're talking about the going to the different extremes and not being open to new information. Um, one thing I just wanted to throw out there, if anyone is listening and has not yet heard about the sugar industry, there was an article that was pu- um, published by one of the, UC- the University of California's um, schools. I'm not sure which one. I think it was UC San Francisco that had a public published it. It was about how the sugar industry had pay, um, paid money to point, have the American Heart Association, and this all sounds conspiracy, but you could look it up, has paid money for the American Heart Association to upplay the dangers of cholesterol and point to fat as the issue mm-hmm. for heart disease mm-hmm. when sugar actually plays a much larger role than we realized before. Yeah. So that just kind of tells you right there 
look at the information. There's a lot of new information coming out. Mm -hmm. And just because you've been told butter is bad and margarine is better doesn't mean that's true. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm, I don't know if it was malintent. I, I just think it was bad science, bad mm -hmm. understanding. And I think as humans, we're a little short-sighted sometimes. Yeah, so sure. even though this is working for me, I've had benefits mentally, physically. I mean, I've completely transformed mm -hmm. in so many ways. I'm still open-minded to new information mm -hmm. and I'm still willing to have a conversation with someone else about this, even if they have a completely different perspective. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, one good thing, even if someone doesn't want to stay on a carnivore-based diet, they can use it as an elimination diet to figure out what type of foods are affecting them. Many of us just mindlessly stuff our faces because we're so busy. We have different stresses throughout our days. And when we're mindlessly stuffing our faces and we don't pay attention to how our body is reacting to their foods, we're never going to find out, well, what is causing all these issues? I'm just going to continue on the same pattern. So when you do a meat, salt, and water diet for 30 days, if you start adding different foods back one at a time mm -hmm. and you keep a journal like you had mentioned, then you could try tomatoes, which are a nightshade, and mm -hmm. a lot of people might have an issue with that or might not. Mm -hmm. And then you can just pay attention how these things affect you and then add back based on what your body tells you and based on what you research. Look into the anti-nutrients like the saponins, the tannins, the... Um, there's a few others, cyanogenic glycosides. Uh, those actually block cellular respiration. Mm. So look at the content. If you, well, a big one right now that even Western doctors will agree is an issue is oxalate. But the Western doctors, the, the, the Western medicine only looks at it as an issue for kidney stones p particularly. But if you look up Sally K. Norton, um, she's done some stuff on, I think, the Weston Price podcast. Mm. But she talks all about oxalate. Mm -hmm. And she talks about different types of problems that can come up with oxalates that are not related to things that most doctors even know of. Yeah. So find out what the high oxalate plants are and maybe go on a low oxalate diet. But you, when you eat a 70% meat-based diet or more, a lot of people will consider that carnivore. Um, Interesting. I follow when I'm good, which I haven't been recently, but mm. <laughs> I've had a few few days here and there I haven't been eating as I should. But um, I follow more of the paleolithic ketogenic diet. So it's a meat-based diet. It's 70% or more animal-based. And then I can add 30% plant-based um, plant foods back to my diet once my mm -hmm. body is mm -hmm. healed. I'm yeah. dealing with a thyroid nodule right now, as you know. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm avoiding most of the plant foods, especially since a lot of the plant foods are what can interfere with the thyroid. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I often say that exercise is medicine and, and food is also medicine. So it's like, all right, well, if you're not feeling good or you feel like something's wrong, like you have low energy, you're having allergic reaction type symptoms, like your eyes are puffy all the time, you're itchy, um, you get red and blotchy, or you're having digestive issues, you're constipated, or the opposite of constipated, you're bloated, or whatever, and, uh, you know, you say, okay, I'm going to go to the doctor for this, and I'm like, all right, here's 10 medications, just take all of them at the same time, and we'll see if you get better, and then let's just assume that you actually get better, well, 
was it the combination of all 10 of the medications? Was it one of them and the other nine did nothing? You know, when you have Or did it just run its course and the medicine did nothing yeah, at all? Yeah, exactly. So it's one of those things where when you, when you start to take away some of the variables, first of all, you get a lot more sensitive. And when you get more sensitive to what's going on in your body, you can have a better subjective understanding of what food is doing what to you. And it's interesting because uh, the biggest thing that shows up for me is I, I'll get itchy. Like I'll get itchy when I eat certain things. And I wasn't quite sure what it was because like I would eat a salad and like I like having a lot of stuff in my salad. So it'd be like, you know, uh, spinach and kale and sunflower seeds and tomatoes and bell peppers and like all this other stuff. And I would eat the salad and I'd be like, man, I'm itchy after eating that. Well, it's like, well, what made me itchy? Was it the leafy greens? Was it the sunflower seeds? Was it the tomatoes? So one of the things that's really consistent with high quality meat that's produced and sourced well is you're getting pretty much the same thing every time. Like if you're eating high quality grass fed beef, you're not throwing a lot of variability in there. So if you eat high quality grass fed beef for like a week, let's say, and then you eat high quality grass fed beef with some tomatoes, and then you eat that and you're like, wow, I feel itchy it might be a really good indicator that your body is reacting to the tomatoes. And if you start to slowly add these things in and document them, you can start to generate your own inner awareness and figure out what your body likes and doesn't like. And that way you don't have faith in some person or some pro, you know, some particular diet. You're have going off of your direct experience. I notice we keep using the tomato as the example ever since I... Uh and that was the first GMO. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, it's funny because whenever I eat tomatoes, my gums get really itchy. It's almost like uh, same thing if I eat uh, wal certain walnuts. Uh, like my throat will feel like it's like cut, like there's little cuts in my throat. I'm actually uh, allergic to walnuts. Uh, it's not severe, but I went to a walnut grove on a farm training one year and man, it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you mentioned good quality grass-fed meat, and that was the, the very last thing I really wanted to touch on is what are the ecological consequences of eating meat? Because that's a hot topic right now as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Netflix documentary uh, professors that watch <laughs> Cowspiracy and Game Changers and, and uh, what's the other one? I have a uh, lot of ones that I've watched that seem to have a lot of information debating that. Oh yeah, heck yeah. Hey, <laughs> real quick before you get into that, shout out to Oregon Valley Farms. If you guys want high quality meat, definitely check out Oregon Valley Farms on Instagram. You can Google them online. Uh, that's where we, that's the meat that we carry at our facility. If you want to come pick some up, 1103 Calamesa Boulevard, come through. You don't got to be a member. You can get your steaks, your ground beef, all that stuff. But Their tenderloin was amazing. Dude, yeah, I'm blown away by their stuff. That's great. Uh, they're going to be on the show pretty soon too that's awesome i might i might be peeking in the yeah, window yeah for sure for sure <laughs> but um the very last thing i wanted to mention was about how the meat is raised is very important as mm -hmm. well the cafo farms cafo confined animal feeding operation the whole cow farts and all that that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about properly managed cattle if you want to find more information, look up Alan Savory. I was actually watching a talk on him this morning about how sheep can save the world. <laughs> yep. And um, White Oak Pastures is a very good one to look into. They have good information about how they are actually sequestering carbon using grazing. Mm -hmm. Now you can have grazing done wrong where you just let the animals graze and they graze everything to the ground. You want to use techniques like mob grazing where they actually will confine the animals not in a small area, but they have certain areas that are sectioned off and they let them feed down and 
to a certain point and then they bring them back so the plant can grow back. Mm -hmm. And then that's actually gonna be sequestering the carbon into the soil as the plant's growing back. Mm -hmm. um, then there's also the silvopasture technique, um, which is amazing because now you don't have to use as much water. It's providing shade for the animals. And then you also have cr an extra crop. Now, you, if you want to have wool, if you're doing sheep, you mm. could have meat and then milk from the sheep. You could have fruit or nuts from the trees, mm -hmm. depending on how you're mm -hmm. setting it up. Um, the Savannah Institute, I think they're out of Wisconsin, is a great uh, resource to look up information on silvopasture. Interesting. I've never even heard of that. Um, it's a similar concept to what some vineyards are doing because um, they're using the grapevines. They're using small, tiny sheep like old world breed, South Down baby doll sheep. And what that does is they're grazing in between the vineyards, keeping down the weeds. So now they don't have to use herbicides, which are going to poison the groundwater, mm -hmm. which are going to go into the soil. It's mm -hmm. going to upset. If you use those herbicides, if you use broad spectrum fungicides, those things will actually upset the, the broad spectrum fungicides, for instance, will not target just the bad fungi. Mm -hmm. It will actually kill a lot of the fungal activity in the soil and it just destroys everything you're trying to do as if you're trying to build good healthy soil because that's where it all starts yeah absolutely and you know the i'm fascinated by fungus and uh, if you want to get deep into that paul stamets actually just came out with a documentary that's showing in some uh, select theaters about um how amazing mushrooms and fungus are not just for like your health but for whether you're talking about trying to save the bee population to uh eat you know mushroom strains that can eat and live off of plastic that you could fill landfills yeah. with these mushroom spores and it eats all the crap that nobody uh you know all the trash that people have thrown away to you know even some of the supplemental ones uh, that are in some of the products at Zero Point, like lion's mane mushroom and the and insane benefit that there is for your digestive system and for your cognitive health. And, um, you know, you're into mushrooms, chaga and turkey tail and all these other things, these like adaptogenic mushrooms. And um, people, I'm not sure people are aware of that a large portion of the dirt, the soil, is mycelial matrixes of fungi. And so if you're using this like broad spectrum antibiotic or antifungal that kills everything, you're lessening the integrity of the soil, its ability to stay together. I mean, uh, there's a lot of issues that could come up from that, uh, whether there's, you know, heavy rains, like, and there's more mudslides or whatever, because things can't stay attached. They're not a part of that ecosystem and community in the dirt anymore. You just explained my hour-long soil presentation. Five minutes. Congratulations. <laughs> that was pretty uh, awesome. Cool, cool. Uh, <laughs> but you touched on a lot of things there, and that, that's all very accurate. Awesome. So, so uh, we got one minute left, Miss Jill. Is there anything that you'd like to share information-wise where people could uh, see some of the information that you put up, like social media or anything like that, or talk a little bit about the events that you have coming up and how they can learn more about that? Um, just contact me. You're more than welcome to shoot me a message on brains, bone marrow, and biohacking if you have any questions. Again, these are things that I'm passionate about, and um, I'm not a professional. I'm not a nutritionist. I don't have a background in any of that, but I'm willing to share, and I'm also open-minded to hear what others have to say. So, Awesome. Well, thank, thank you very you. much for being on the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Zero Point Health Hour, and don't be afraid to come by, pick up your meat, meet us in person at 1103 Calamesa Boulevard, California, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening.
It's time for NBC Radio News on KCAA Loma Linda. Brought to you by Green Kong Dispensary, the Inland Empire's finest curated medical and recreational dispensary. Google GreenKong.com. 